The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
There's joy in the house of the Lord today. This is our God. This is the one that we serve. He is worthy of our praise.
Faithful you are, God. Faithful you will be.
morning. So I recently took the trip um, over to Hobbs um, after talking with someone off of Facebook Marketplace to pick up a MacBook Air. I really thought that I was getting um, a good deal. The retail for the one that I thought that I was going to get was $1,400, um, and he was selling it for $750. Pretty good, right? See. I'm pretty savvy when it comes to marketplace, so I knew that I could talk him down to around 575 bucks and an ice cream from McDonald's. <laughs> Everything worked out great when I went up there. He actually kept his word um, and kept it for me over the weekend. Um, they didn't really know how to reset it, so they just took the whole operating system off of it, which wasn't really a big deal. I just don't know how I managed to do it. Um, when I got home, uh, the first thing that I did was I added all my accounts on it. Um, and then I opened it up and, uh, checked on the specs just to make sure that I bought what I thought that I was going to get to my surprise. It was not, it was actually a year behind the model that I thought that I was going to get the retail for the one that I actually got was just shy of 900. My dad, who had already been having a rough day, told me, don't do anything else with it. Set it over to the side. We'll worry about it on a later date. We'll get your money back. Don't worry about it. Um, and to that I said, I don't want to drive all the way back up there. I barely have enough money for Sonic, let alone gas. Needless to say, I texted the guy back, and after ghosting my first message, um, I double-texted him, and he finally responded back, basically saying um, that he was out of town on a business trip, but he'd compensate me when he got home, uh, so I couldn't be too mad with the whole situation. Proverbs 19.2 says this, Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? There are so many times in life that we rush into things headfirst. Relationships, opportunities, bargains, things the world says are good ideas, but when you look at the bigger picture, there was always something better. The friends that you feel like you have to hang out with to be noticed. The job or career path that you need to make a living. The MacBook that you've really been needing for school that shows up at a low price. I'm not saying these things will do you no good, but if you don't use these as a stepping stone to get yourself a better life with Christ, they will become a stumbling block. Throwing yourself at things like these can change your life drastically if they become all that you dwell on. Is it easier to go into all situations knowing no matter the outcome, there will always be somebody greater waiting for you at the end? Are you scared because you don't know if God is with you? You don't know that the, if the choices that you are making are the right ones? Discernment in these scenarios is a huge thing, but how do we know what is God? Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path.
if you are having any struggles with what way that you should believe or what the guidelines of your life should be, we have the Bible, the book that is God's word. Everything that we need to know is in there. I'm going to be honest. I've struggled for a long time believing. I needed something physical to know that God was real. It's difficult finding peace and guidance leeching off of somebody else's faith. If you need a physical anything to know that God is real, we have some here in the front in the front for anybody who is needing one. This book is the discernment of the Lord. We know what it says is the way because it is God's word. We need to be a Bible-using church because we are a Bible-believing church. Are you chasing convenience or running towards redemption? Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, thank you for everything that you've given us. Thank you for humbly dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you that we know no matter the outcome, no matter what paths we go down, no matter what job we have, no matter our friends, no matter the relationships that we are in, we always have you to look back to. You are always there reaching with open arms waiting for us to come back. In your name I pray. Amen. What can happen in 38 years? 38 years ago would be 1985. Reagan was president. Gorbachev becomes president later that year. We Are the World is recorded in January of that year. It becomes the number one song of that year. Uh, Live Aid happened that summer. That spring, Bobby Knight famously threw a chair across a basketball court. Coincidentally, the same month, WrestleMania appeared in in, uh, New York City. I I don't know if those are tied together. In 1985, it was the first time there was a smoking ban in restaurants. It happened in Aspen, Colorado. Up until that time, you could smoke. There was smoking and non-smoking sections. And in 1985, closed captioning debuted on TV. That year, the 49ers beat Miami in the Super Bowl. The Lakers beat Celtics in basketball. And the Royals beat the Cardinals in the World Series. In 1985, the Commodore Amiga home computer debuted. Steve Jobs left Apple the first time. He comes back later and saves it and turns it into the greatest corporation ever. And Microsoft introduced a little thing called Windows. It was what we would call Windows 1.0, all right? Born that year, Haley Duff, uh, Dave Franco, Derek Huff, the dancer, Dancing with the Stars, T-Pain, Lana Del Rey, Darrell Rivas, who just went in the Hall of Fame a couple of weeks ago, and Vivek Ramaswamy, who's currently running for president. He's 38. 
38 years is 447 months. It's 1,981 weeks. It's 13,780 days. It's 332,800 hours. You might be sitting there going, great, Don, you know how to find statistics using Google. Great job, you. Okay? But 38 years can be a lifetime. It can be an eternity to some people. What if nothing changed in 38 years? Some, some in our culture roll with changes pretty good. But, st- but surveys will tell us most Americans resist change. Is that a fair statement? We're not big crazy about it because change is scary. Change is unpredictable. Change is uncomfortable. But today, do you believe in your core being that God can change your story? We're in this series, Point of Impact. If you're joining us today online or on the radio, we're going to be in John chapter 5, and we want you to have a Bible. We're a Bible-believing church and a Bible... So lift them up, lift them up. You brought your Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, we have them here for you. We want you to have them. I'm serious. Take it home. We'll get you others. We're going to be in John chapter 5, where Jesus impacts a man. Now, the whole point of impact series is what happens when this impact happens to our life? Do we really actually change? And in this particular one, Jesus impacts a man that has been dealing with 38 years of the same. Nothing changes. And then he meets Jesus. Will anything change? Join me in scripture, John chapter 5. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda. Everybody say Bethesda. With five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, and he knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. In that video that opened the sermon, Franklin put the song, Better Boat, by uh, uh, Kenny Chesney and Mindy Smith. But Kenny Chesney didn't write it. It was written by an Americana artist, a guy named Travis Meadows. It's much darker in his version, he is trying to deal with the death of a loved one. And so he's trying to get by and what, you know, every day is a difficult day. Well, Kenny takes it and he records it on his song for the Saints album in 2018. Uh, it was a benefit album for the islands, St. Thomas, St. Croix, uh, St. Kitts down there that were hit by Hurricane Irma in 2017. And he took it and he took the lyrics of that song and really made it personal and passionate. One of the lines, I ride the waves I can't control. If it's working, I don't know. I'm just learning how to build a better boat. Have we ever been there? Have we ever been there where we keep working and not sure if anything's getting better? We're not sure if anything is changes. Things seem to be out of control. 
Another line in the song says, I think I'm stronger than I was. I'll let God do what he does. This guy that Jesus meets has been dealing with this disability for 38 years, a lifetime. We're not sure how long he has been at that particular place, but it says he has been ill for 38 years and he has hurt for a lifetime. And so he comes to the pool of Bethesda. Jesus came here, friends. He came to our planet to help those who could not do it by themselves. If you could do it by yourself, there would be no need for Jesus. This place is called Bethesda. In the Hebrew language, there's meaning in every part. Bet, any word that starts with bet, like Bethlehem is bet Helam, house of bread. Bet is house. Well, in this one, Bethesda, or some of yours might say Bethsaida, Bethesda is house of mercy. House of Mercy. Wouldn't that be a great name for church, Bethesda, House of Mercy? We name a lot of hospitals Bethesda, right? A place of mercy. And Jesus walks in on all these people laying around in a sea of sickness. At that time, there were no hospitals for the Israelites. If you were sick, they tried to deal with it at home. If you were really bad, if you were infectious, they usually put you outside the city. Leprosy, bleeding, things like that. Romans actually had hospitals, but Romans were really particular about them being the best. So if a Roman child was born with a deformity or legs that didn't work or something wasn't right, they just left them on the ash heap to die. And... And Jesus comes into this pool where all of these sick people are. People are attracted to this pool by a faint hope of healing. Why? Well, there's something you may not have discovered about verse 4 in this book. Verse 4 isn't there. <laughs> On most of your versions, it's not there. It usually goes one, verse 1, 2, 3, 5. Verse 4 is only found in very old manuscripts. King James has it, but a lot of the newer ones have taken it out. They feel like it was added in somewhere down the line by a copyist. But here is what it says. They used to wait there for the moving of the water. For at certain times, an angel used to come down into the pool and disturb the water. And then the first person who stepped into the water after the disturbance would be healed of whatever he was suffering from. Now, this is a picture of the actual uh, pool of Bethesda in outside on the side of Jerusalem there uh, in by the sheep gate there, it says. It was discovered in 2016. When we were there in 2018, they had, uh, they had excavated this much of it. It has pools in all of these, and there are porches all around. And people would lay there, and the first one in the water after it was disturbed... This is a, str uh, uh, a stream, not a stream fed, but a, a, it's, it's bubbles up from the ground. It's, it, it just, it, it, it kind of comes up from a, a spring. And, and there was a lot of thought that maybe it was the bubbling up coming from a spring, or maybe an angel stepped in there and disturbed the water. But somewhere down the line, somebody had been there when it happened. They came out, they felt better, and the legend was born. It had happened sometime. So if you were in this time 
and you had some kind of a physical ailment, man, you wanted in on that action. You got around this pool. And Jesus walks up and asks a seemingly ridiculous question to a guy. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? You know what? He, it's another word. It's another way of saying, do you want things to change? You see, that's a big question. How many of us have at least one problem in our life? Okay. Anybody in here? Look at that. Half of the arms go up. Maybe your problem is you can't lift your arm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, We all have something wrong, but do we really want our circumstances to be different? You see, that's a tough question. Sometimes we like just sitting in our circumstances and complaining about them. How would you answer this question? I have what I believe is the spiritual gift of sarcasm, and I would have responded in some snarky way, okay? I'm just telling you. If Jesus would have asked me, I'd have said, oh, no thanks, God. I just really would like to have 38 more years of these things not working, all right? Now, we don't know that he was crippled. It just says he was ill, but there there is an implication there that that his legs didn't work because he says at the end, get up and walk. My question is, is this, it should be an easy answer, but many have not dealt with this. We look at problems in our life and we think, well, you know what? We got to try harder. I just got to double down and I got to work harder. Friends, you need to get this point. Jesus didn't come to improve you. He came to change you from the inside out. He didn't come to put a new coat of paint on you. He came to rebuild you completely. He asked this question, do you want to get well? And how did the guy answer? He answered with excuses. He answered with reasons he has not been, has not changed. So apparently it really was a good question. I've been thinking about it this week. I'm wondering if it is the question. Do you want to be changed? Do you want it different? Most of you have seen the ads that say, Jesus gets us. Have you seen these, this ad campaign that's going out? I love that ad because I think Jesus gets us. He gets that we are very resistant to change. 38 years, this guy's been laying there. This is his lifestyle now. He has accepted it and he's just sitting there. Question, are we sitting in, in something that is less when God has more for us. And this is absolutely true, friends. Every bit of growth, anything good that happens is going to require change. If you want to be higher on the depth chart, it's going to require change. It is going to require a lot of effort, some intensity, some concentration, some enthusiasm. It is going to take those things to change your situation. March 6, 1981, Walter Cronkite signed off of CBS News for the very last time with his signature line, and that's the way it is. For 46 years, he was on the air. Three major wars, one cold one. 
He was there on the air for the assassination of John F. Kennedy. He was there for the assassination of Martin Luther King, for Watergate, for when man set foot on the moon, he was there. And I want you to get this. At the peak of his career, Walter Cronkite talked to 29 million Americans daily. 29 million Americans tuned into this guy because he was cool, he was level-headed, and they called him the most trusted man in America. That was, that's actually the title of his, his biography, the story of it. He earned that title by, I think, telling America hard truths and expecting us to have the brain power to figure it out. And look, this is what the situation is. You decide and you figure out how to deal with it. But his classic sign-off, that's the way it is. I'm afraid it has been co-opted and, and it's been taken over and it's turned into a cop-out in our culture. Well, it is what it is. How many of you heard that phrase? It is what it is. And, well, that's just what it is. It is what it is. And, and we look at something as, as if it is just there. It is what it is. I looked it up in a slang dictionary. That means it's used to characterize a situation that we think cannot change. Friends, Jesus didn't come to improve you. He came to change you. Self-help books sell 18 million copies every year. And a lot of people approach Christianity as self-help. Well, I got to read more and I got to do more good things. I want you to read more and I want you to do more good things. But Christianity is not about how you can fix you. Only he can fix you. And he wants to fix you. But a lot of our culture has this, I think, idea about church or Christianity or about God that God grades on the curve. Everybody know what a bell curve is? Everybody knows what a bell curve? Man, I hope God grades on the curve. Here's the problem with it. We are often the curve setters. Here's how it plays out. Well, man, I hope God grades on the curve because there are people that are better than me. I mean, Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, there's really good people. But there's, there's a lot of people that are worse than me, right? I want a lot on this side, so I might lean a little closer to this side. Problem. God is the one that sets the curve. And there is nobody better. So there's not a curve. There is only a point. And we're not going to get there without him. Paul echoes this in Romans 3. He says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. Friends, all means all. All means every single one of us. Some of us have been trying to act better and trying to do better. And I love that. But it's not a boat that is going to hold water. You need to build a better boat. So what excuses do you use to not change your situation? I love the story of Christian Herder, who was the governor of Massachusetts in 1957. He was actually running for re-election. He was on the campaign trail. He was re-elected. He ended up being uh, moved to the secretary of state. But in 1957, he had been on the campaign trail all day. He had been kind of barnstorming and going around. He ends up at this church picnic, and he's going to be the speaker later on that night. But he's going around shaking hands. Hi, how you doing? Everything. And then he gets in the line for the food, and he goes down the line. And the lady that's handing out the chicken gives him one piece of chicken. And he says, can I have a second? And she says, no, I'm sorry, one per customer. Well, Herder was apparently a humble guy, but he was also a hungry guy. 
And he played the, do you know who I am card? Do you know who I am? I'm the governor of Massachusetts. Surely I can get another piece of chicken. And the woman says, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. One per customer, get on down the line. See, a lot of us do that. We go, God, don't you see who I am? I'm a good guy. I go to church. But what excuses do we use to avoid changing our world? Well, I just, I just don't have time, Don. You don't understand. I don't have time for Bible study or any of that stuff. I, I'm busy. Or maybe, well, people in the church have hurt me. Anybody heard that line before? Maybe some of you have been. Well, I just don't want to go to church. Those people hurt me. I'm not even sure it's worth it. Or maybe you're looking at your lifestyle and your problems and you're saying, one of these days he's going to change. One of these days she's going to be different. Friends, change is scary. It's uncomfortable. It's unknown. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're sitting here and you know there are changes that need to be made, but you're just not sure. And you might have, you're just down to the last string of hope on your situation. You've lost hope that it will change. Can I just tell you, thank you for being here. You're in the right place. Because our God wants to change your situation. Change is hard. But that's what, that's what mature people do, right? That's what grown-ups do. We stop making excuses and we start making changes. We do the hard things. This paralyzed guy had one thing going for him. He knew he could not do it on his own. That's what he says. He says, hey, there's nobody here to help me. He couldn't convince anybody to help him. He was unable to help himself. We can learn a lot from our friends that battle in recovery every day. I'm very honored that we support uh, Alcoholics Anonymous here, Narcotics Anonymous. We, we support uh, many groups that meet here. AA was started in 1934 by a guy named Bill W., uh, who was a stockbroker, and a guy named Dr. John, I think is what his name was. And he was a doctor. Both were very successful in their particular realm of life, and both could not get past what alcohol had done to them. So they helped to found found AA. And the, if you read the history of it, it's really powerful. But it has this quote in here that has just wrecked me. When your level of desperation exceeds your level of embarrassment, then change can occur. When your level of embarrassment to wear a jersey that you can't breathe in... Uh, when your level of desperation supersedes the level of embarrassment, maybe you're sitting here and you're battling alcohol. It started with just one. Now it's every day, all the time, and you can't seem to put it down. Maybe it's, maybe it's porn. You can't get past those websites. It's easy on your phone, so you, you, there's no problems there. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe you're sitting here saying, nobody is ever going to understand me for me. Nobody's ever going to love me for me. Maybe it's despair, depression. You can't find any hope that will encourage you. Friends, take a little step towards Jesus. He's not very far away. Take a little step 
toward him. Don't be embarrassed. Be desperate. Don't let fear hold you back because my God has never given up on you. He is, you've never done anything that he's, he has given up on you. There's no sin you can create that pushes him that far away. He wants to love you. So Jesus looks at this superstition of the water moving and he doesn't give any credence to it. He just, he heals the guy. Hey, get up, roll up your mat and walk. Question, what happens if the guy doesn't get up? What happens if he doesn't? What if he lays there and says, hey, but you don't understand. I can't, I don't, I, 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 you know what? We just come up with a lot of excuses. Friends, sometimes us Christians are sitting and hoping and praying, but not moving. Now, I'm, I'm a big fan of hope. I'm a big fan of prayer. These are not bad things. But sometimes God's saying, hey, it's time to move. It's time to make the change that you need to make. Will you act in faith before there's any promise or evidence of God working? Sometimes it's just time for us to act, to do what he says and watch how he changes us. Do you realize the conversation Jesus has with this guy is two statements? The first one is a question. Do you want to get healed? The second one is an imperative an imperative, for those of you who don't remember English, that's words your mama uses. Clean your room. She doesn't ask your opinion. She doesn't ask your feelings. How do you feel about cleaning your room? No, no, clean your room. All right, it's an imperative. Jesus says, get up. He didn't ask him to. He didn't, I, I can't see anywhere in scripture where he offered him a hand. He lifted him up. He didn't beg. He called for faith in something bigger. This guy had no idea who the guy was. He's just some random dude walks up and says, get up. I can't get up. These things don't work. He's asking him to have faith in something bigger. Friends, even if it's little steps, move in the direction of Jesus. Maybe it's just reading your Bible more. Maybe you don't have one. We want to give you one. We have apps to do it. And there's, there's all kinds of ways you can get that through that. Maybe it's you commit today to being a part of a, a student ministry, whether it's AMP and our, our young people or it's Spectrum and our college age young adult ministry. You say, you know what? I'm going to commit to being there every possible time I can be there because it's going to help me. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe you commit to praying more. You see... Little steps in his direction turn into big steps. Little steps. I said earlier, this is not about fixing yourself. No, it's about putting yourself in habits that will get you closer to God. And that's what we want to encourage. This guy had a lifestyle for 38 years. He had encounter with Jesus for, I don't know, 38 seconds. Will he change? Will you make excuses or will you make changes? As we were preparing for this day and being excited and food and chairs and all kinds of uh, challenges, I wanted to look at this story. 
I talked to Franklin about it, and I was telling him, here's where I'm at. And he reminded me of the, the TV series, The Chosen. How many of you have seen some of The Chosen? There's three, three uh, seasons out. It's a powerful series. And in The Chosen, they reenact. Now, this is Hollywood dramatization. They reenact this story. That life is over. Everything changes now. Everything is different. Could he be saying that to you today? It's time to make a change because the boat you're riding in is not floating. It's not making it. Don't go back to the alcohol. Don't go back to the drugs. Don't go back to the friends that are pulling you in that way. Go toward him. Intensity concentration, enthusiasm. These are things that will move us in the direction of being with him. So I throw up my hands because that's all I've got. There is no pool. There is no boat that has anything for you except him. And I pray you hear that today. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our brother, thanking you for today and praying you will move in our heart, change our life, change our perspective, change little things so that we can see big changes in our life. We praise you and love you through Jesus. We pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.